0: The beginning, the
1: beginning, the beginning, the beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram, alongside Dr. Joshua Black. It's another beautiful day to do another podcast, and we're excited and happy to be here. Just want to thank everybody for listening, tuning in to the podcast. It means a lot to us that uh, you know you're giving, taking the time out of your day to do that, and we hope you're enjoying each and every one that we do before i start just want to say joshua how are you di- doing today because i know uh, you love that question
2: <laughs> every time sean every time <laughs> i'm doing good i am i'm uh, i'm excited to do another episode it's funny when you said like oh it's another good day uh, what's a bad day to do a podcast
1: yeah I th- you're I right
2: i don't know i've never had a Day where it's like this was a horrible time to do a podcast. That's true. <laughs> Even when I'm
1: tired, I push through it uh, in the beginning, and by the end of the podcast, I feel great. So you're absolutely right. Maybe a, maybe a, a day that's super bad weather. Maybe that day.
2: Maybe <laughs> <laughs> unless maybe not. I don't know. It's one of those things where just I think we both love doing it, and it inspires us and it motivates us as we get off the off air to do more and you know there's things in life that bring you that and I'm glad we found that in our lives and the podcast can be that. Sean, but another interesting thing that's got me motivated is my article in an academic journal called Omega Journal of Death and Dying just got published and so that's something people can read now and the title of that is comforting versus distressing dreams of the deceased relations to grief trauma attachment continuing bonds and post dream reactions. That's been one, one of my last studies in my PhD, and I'm so happy to be able to have that out there because it talks about the functions of these dreams and how important they are within people's lives. So I think this will be a huge moment for the academic community to now see what we've been seeing on the podcast a lot and to be able to go further now with the topic. On that beautiful note, let's get
1: started. So on today's podcast, we have with us Becky uh, Jenison, and uh, she has had a lengthy career in human services, starting as a nurse's aide, then a nurse, then clinical mental health professional and mind-body practitioner. In 2018, Becky created the Death Dialogues Project with an aim of getting conversations surrounding dying, death, and grief in the aftermath out of the closet. The project has staged two critically acclaimed productions based on verbatim stories, um, which is a workshop surrounding death planning and a podcast. Becky has begun writing a project based on what death and life has taught her through her own experiences and the stories of others. Please find out more about the Death Dialogues Project, www.deathdialogues.net. You can find the Death Dialogues Project podcast on all your favorite Podcast platforms and on Instagram and Facebook. Becky, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
2: So, you are. Where are you from?
0: I moved to New Zealand um, in 2011 from Springfield, Illinois.
2: Hmm. I've always wanted to visit New Zealand. It's actually one of my one of my bucket list items. Since we're talking about death and dying, it's one of the things that place I want to visit and want to see The Hobbit. Village.
0: <laughs> I have to tell you it's really cool. Oh, it is, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it is so cool. So, and I also have to tell you that when I connect with people around Death, I kind of throw out the idea that, hey, if you want to come over here, we could probably get a little presentation of some sort going. So yeah, file that thought, Josh.
2: Mm. All right we'll do i'm uh I'm excited that so when you you moved there from the states and I'm really curious in if you saw any differences in the cultures when it came to death and dying because that's one of your missions now is to raise awareness. I'm just curious about how if there's any differences in the cultures
0: there's a huge difference, and it widely informed me in uh my two major experiences when my brother died of brain cancer in 2017 and my mother then died 10 months later living with us and i was uh, by both of their sides throughout all of that process and i was widely informed by what i had been seeing in new zealand and you have a couple of different things here you have the maori indigenous culture who have taken ownership of death throughout time And then you have um, the Europeans, and of course, there's a melding in between, but you also have the Europeans that I think have learned from those ways. So, even um, not wrapped up in that type of uh, tradition and and beautiful ceremony, you have people that are doing death more naturally. A lot of people, in fact, it's not unheard of at all to keep your um, person's body at home, much like I would hear from my. Mother who was born in 1922, how it used to be in the States, and taking care of our loved ones at home and taking care of their bodies and sitting vigil. So I was well prepared to take a bit of a different route. Uh, My brother was actually in Michigan, and um, thankfully. His wife, we didn't know that it was going to pad out that way, but we followed this kind of process. I'd had some experience with nursing and we ended up having him home, taking care of him and having him home for three days with us. And I would like to thank New Zealand very much for opening me up to that. I'd also like to thank Zenith Virago and a documentary made by her called Zen and the Art of Dying, because I actually watched that one month before he died. And um, informed my sister-in-law before I got back over there. I was over there much of the year that he was um, unwell. And as we knew that he was probably taking that final turn, I had planted a tiny seed with her that, just remember, if he passes before I get there, there's no emergency. You don't have to dial 911. Um, Some of the most precious time can be just being with him for a while. And so that little seed planted, I think, Uh, opened her up to what we ended up doing
1: that's fascinating and it's really good to hear about um, the process of death and dying which goes on in new zealand and it's kind of like with our own in canada uh, and probably united states with the indigenous culture we have here it's, it's we're not living close to those cultures of you know the first nations people here in canada Um, So we don't get to experience a lot of their processes, but um, it seems like in New Zealand, I know there's a large Aborigine um, indigenous culture there. So which are, and it's, I guess it's more intertwined. So you get to see it a little bit more firsthand. And um, that's something that we've talked about on this podcast before, uh, which is the, how we've in, in today's Western societies changed a lot of those things, like a lot of the processes, and they take place in hospitals, or they take place in places that are more clinical and type of cold and type of environments. And a lot of people are starting to kind of move towards what you were talking about, which is more, maybe sitting with the person at home or having the person die at home. Uh, Those are kind of getting uh, flourishing and becoming more bigger. And and like you said, like you talked about how your grandmother from the 1920s, that's something we just got away from uh, in a lot of ways, because in a lot of ways, we've given this task, these jobs and responsibilities to the medical industry as a whole. Um, so I think that's great. That's wonderful to hear.
0: I think uh, you're exactly right. If, if Once you start diving into this area, you see that there's a wave actually. And it's beautiful to see um, there's lots of people in are twenties and thirties actually going into death work and becoming death doulas. I remember as we were caring for my brother being a nurse, I had had attended births and I had attended deaths. And I just remember looking over at my sister in law and saying, this right here feels like being a birth doula. And at that point in time, I did not know that there were actually death doula's and it has taken off. Around that time, it seems like is when it really taken off. Obviously, and I have people on my podcast that I've interviewed. There's been people, some people that have been doing this for decades. But it it reminds me a little bit of the whole um, move there was in the 70s, 80s, mainly the 70s. It really started to take back the process of birth, and you know, reframe that. It's not the doctor that gives birth you know, which is kind of the language we use sometimes. It's the woman that gives birth and trying to utilize midwives more, uh, birth doulas. I think it's kind of the generation. That's who's dying now. That's who's um, looking at death. That's whose partners are looking at death. And, And because of having that mindset of, you know, we can do this and this is a natural part of life. I think we're seeing a whole wave of change and I love it. I also have no judgment for how anybody wants to handle that as the same as birth. You know, I feel some people can do that and some people can't and then some people have a burning desire to do that and we can never plan how death is going to come. You know, a death may happen in a way that doesn't allow that to happen.
2: When you sat with your brother as he was dying, did any emotions come up for you that maybe you weren't expecting?
0: Yes, it was. I, I do have to say it was interesting that because what had happened is he had called me in January of 2017, worried. We were very, very, very close, and um, he was seven years older than me, and he had been my protector, and then morphed into my best friend. And there's a long story behind all of that, but but he he was just a beautiful person in my life. We were we were fellow travelers. He called it, and. He called me worried about his memory and it took six months. He went down hill very, very quickly with that. And they were treating him for a, um, autoimmune encephalitis for six months. And little did we know that they were just barely keeping his head above the water because the when he finally had enough changes on the MRIs to do a brain biopsy six months later, they found primary CNS lymphoma. And it ended up that the same drugs they would use for chemotherapy were the drugs he'd been weaned off of to get the brain biopsy done. So he almost died at that point. And that was in July of 2016, before his death in January of 2017. So I went and I stayed for several weeks then with him by his side, um, taking bedside care and sleeping by his bed 24 seven until he got out of the woods. And then even when he went to the a rehab facility a hospital that was connected with our hospital that we were at in Michigan. And um, so there were so many emotions coming up. And um, so one thing I'm, I'm really drawn to right now, because, it, because of having a complex and um, difficult childhood with a very raging, angry father, I see how that experience, um, I want to say layered onto, you could say complicated, uh, the whole grief process and the whole anticipatory grief process. You know, by God, we had been together and he had saved me so many times, I was not leaving his side. And... So we had that period, of, and I and I went back and forth. After he started g- seeming to be well out of the woods and walking again, and talking, and rehabbing, and home, I went back to New Zealand, and then I I went back a couple more times, and the final time was at the end. And I will say that while I was in those moments at his bedside in a primary care taking position, when it was very involved, when he was at his most unwell in um, that July. And then in January, as he's dying, I went into a mode that it wasn't void of emotion, but it was like worker be mode. Um, so yeah, it was like there was a job that had to be done. And that had to be done. I had many, many tender moments with him and communication with him. Um, there was yeah, it was a huge ambivalence of not wanting this person I love so dearly to suffer, but also not wanting his feet to leave the planet. And I know that that's what he wanted to be there. He had two children. One was uh, his youngest, two kids. One's One co- was in college and one was 16 at the time. And it was breaking his heart um, to, to leave them. And um, yeah, so... Yeah. Your answer to your question. Yep. Lots of emotion came up, but also surprisingly very task oriented when the work had to be done.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to describe that. Um, I haven't had a chance to sit with too many people who are dying. But um, last year when I sat with my grandmother for a week as she passed away, as she died, that was the mode. That was the way of operating for those, let's say, five days or so. That, uh, as family members, we all went to visit her, and through my head, um, I because I had never really sat with someone um, before it happened. I thought, hmm, I wonder if I can do that, and I, f- I wonder if I, ha- if I have it in me to go ahead and do that, and then when she. Uh, when we found out she was about to die in in the hospital, and it was just a matter of kind of sitting and waiting. I realized that like, you know, I I, I realized that I wanted to do it, I could do it. And I didn't have those hesitations. It was like, like you said, work mode and just, you know, wake up in the morning, let's get ready, let's go to the hospital, let's do that. And then when I was not visiting, I was thinking, okay, planning about the next day. And There wasn't a lot of uh, mixed emotions around sitting there, but just, okay, you know, hopefully she's comfortable. Let's get her a blanket. Let's hold her hand. That was the main thing. So I really, um, that made a lot of sense to me.
0: Mm. You're bringing up for me to the one huge component of it all was uh, probably, I could even call it a practice during that time of mindfulness. Which I, you know, try to incorporate into my life anyway, but like no other because I didn't want to miss anything. I didn't. I was so cued into my brother. There was a period of time at the in that middle and at the end that he wasn't able to talk, and I was reading. I knew him so well. I could read by his grimace. I could, and so not only did I want to be in tuned to his needs and what was going on with his. Comfort level in his body, but I also held that hand and recorded him when he was talking saying, I love you to me as many times Um, as I could. I didn't want to miss a moment in case he was leaving before I would. Um, So, just a real, you know, there was no looking at my phone when I was by his side. You know, there was no let's do crossword puzzles, interestingly. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah, it's amazing to be able to surrender to the moment and like he allowed you to get there, which like in my life, it's so busy, so chaotic. There's so many things. The phone's always there and some, you just need these events sometimes to really waken you up, to be present in the moment. And I'm glad you're able to do that. And I'm glad you're able to even give back as he gave to you throughout your life. To be there for him as he, you know, transitioned, and I hope when I do die that I have someone there that um, can hold my hand and can read to me or sing, and just to be there because I think that that would be a good death for me. Have you ever yeah. thought about yourself and how um, what a good death would be for you?
0: Um, you know, back to trying to live in the moment. I I do and I don't. I. I know that I would like to be surrounded with love and compassion. Um, I know. I also know that I could walk across the street and get hit by a car tomorrow. So that that isn't something I can totally control. Though I'm a big believer in intention because <laughs> so much magic has happened in my world where a, a one little seed of intention. And I have to tell you. Josh, we're out in the country in New Zealand, and you see stars like you've never seen them before. And at the top of our hill, we have about five acres, and back behind our house, we interact with horses a lot and and our animals. And we have this van that we, uh, Toyota highest that we kitted our was kitted out to go sleep out in, and we'll take that up to the top of the the paddock every once in a while and sit up there. And I told my husband, I said. When I'm dying, if I'm dying, if it's a dying process, bring a bed up here. Mm. I just, I want to be in under the stars. That resonates to me. I want to be in the outdoors. I'm fortunate that the bedroom we have opens up to the outdoors as well. So it wouldn't even take a lot to pull a bed outside from where we're at. But that kind of fluidity with nature feels, you know, there's a resonation there in my heart. But otherwise, interestingly, as much as you know, I planned a workshop, helping people to decide and plan for their own deaths. And, and I'm really big on that. But when I peeled back all of those layers, We have a blended family of nine children, um, right? The oldest is 32. The youngest is here with us, 15. And when I peeled back those layers, I realized I want what my family wants. I want them – I don't want to be the control freak from the beyond that has something written down that makes them uncomfortable. But I do have things written down. I do have song lists, and I have my, I'm, I'm out myself here. I am going to talk about this on my own project and I haven't yet, but I have a, a willow um, coffin sitting in my living room right now for my husband or I, whoever goes first. And I'm telling you what, it is a gorgeous piece of furniture. And uh, people aren't as shocked as you think to have your future coffin sitting in your living room.
1: What, uh, what is that? What, what was that again?
0: <laughs> it's a hand-woven willow coffin.
1: Wow. Full size. And where does that come from?
0: It came from the South Islands. Somebody. Oh, that's, it.
1: oh, that's from New Zealand. Interesting.
0: And we have a natural burial here. And when I immersed in death as I am with this project and talking to people, I came to discover what we thought was kindest to the planet. Cremation is actually not because of um, the omissions into the atmosphere. And the energy used, the fossil fuels used, and that natural burial is actually what's kindest to the planet. And here in our community, we have a beautiful um, natural burial area in a gorgeous cemetery that also has the crematorium. And because it was such a beautiful piece of uh, art, I feel like it's art. You know, somebody hand wove this out of fronds of willow. Um, my husband didn't think i was totally insane and agreed and we bought it and it's sitting in our living room
2: i like that i really like that idea of buying your casket yourself or even building it yourself and i I remember watching a video of someone building their own or they have workshops where people build their own i think that's really interesting because it really connects you more with the of your own mortality and what would you want to be buried in and i'm glad you were able to to grab that and to have that and to really it's like it just uh, it's a, it's also a conversation starter when people walk in and they don't know you <laughs> so what's this
0: <laughs> well it was a beautiful story the woman that delivered it actually it had it set there and she said she said i don't usually do deliveries but i need um i needed to get this to you in case you needed it and it ended up her husband was terminally ill is terminally ill and so she ended up hanging out for at least a half an hour talking and was like, you know, I, I believe things happen for a reason. And I was meant to be here because we she just picked my brain you know, about burials and um, choices. And uh, she just felt very, very uh, like it was very synchronistic <laughs> to come on that delivery. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing the way things unfold, really.
1: Yeah, another aspect of that, I think, is by thinking about it and making certain choices when you are healthy and uh, able to, that gives you more power in that process and maybe feel, maybe, maybe feel like less out of control and less um, fearful.
0: Right. And the real, realistic part of it is if you want something such as this type of hand woven, casket that you can only get from the South Island, that's a bit of a chore for the family to do or other people to do within a short period of time. So it was one of those box ticking things that if either one of both of us want that and whoever goes first, it will be there. It won't have people. It was a very practical choice as well. It won't have people scurrying about, oh, where do we get one of these? Oh my gosh, how many days does it take to get here? It's just there. And you might have seen or heard there was a viral and, and you can find it easily out there. In New Zealand, there was um, people and they were mainly, I would say, over in their 70s type of age group that had, I think they called it the coffin club, where they built their own coffins and have a very lighthearted video that went viral about it. So yeah, these are things here that aren't Um, quite as daunting. And again, you have a whole spectrum of people, right? You have people that can really, really talk about death and understand it. But you also, I just went to a meeting at hospice and um, was flabbergasted at the hospice volunteers in the shops saying that 90% of the people don't know what hospice is when they're coming in and shopping in the shops. So, you know, people that want to, to have binders on about death and dying, we'll have blinders on about death and dying. And it's conversations like ours that hopefully will step-by-step step get get us talking more, get the general public talking a bit more.
2: And so were you always into talking about death or was it only something that really happened after your loss of your brother and mother?
0: So I was pretty much always into it in one way or another in my life. I, I had been taken as a child to funerals and um, funeral homes, uh, probably to an extreme degree, even people that I didn't know. It wasn't particularly a pleasant experience for me, but it was exposure. But then as my real up-close personal, where I became a bit of an activist about it, was working as a nurse's aide in nursing homes and then working as a nurse in hospitals. And, and with staffing issues and just a lot of people, believe it or not, there's a lot of nurses that don't really want to talk to patients as much as they want to deal with the machines or whatever else is going on. And I was just really um, disappointed on overall the lack of uh, staying power the staff had with people on their deathbeds. It was still very clinicalized. The thought that, you know, my first thought would have been that we need somebody um, there by the person's side because we don't want somebody to be alone. Now, mind you, all this time, I, I went to nursing school to pay my way through school to be a therapist. <laughs> so I, I didn't have, um, the medical end was not my forte and, and talking and being with and being present with, with people was. But it was a huge issue and taking care of the bodies after death was a huge issue for me. Um, it wasn't the times I was involved with it. It wasn't a sacred process, and there were times I would actually have a nurse leave the room because I felt like they were handling situation disrespectfully. So that that was always an issue for me. It was always an issue for me working in the medical arena about looking how how the medical profession, doctors per se, look at death as a failure. And how difficult it was to start having those conversations. and so I began talking, I had the opportunity with a line of work I was doing um, where I, I would be giving seminars at times or be a participant in a day of seminars. and I started talking with doctors about coming to terms with their own mortality because my belief was that was the biggest barrier. If I can't acknowledge that I'm going to die, if I can't, Look at my mortality, my family's mortality, and if I can't reframe death as a natural process instead of always seeing it as a failure, then how can I be with a person at their end stage of life? Because what happens is the medical professionals are running around in a state of denial. And if you're in a state of denial, and if your next step is always that you're saving this person's life at all costs, you get to avoid having the deep conversations about end of life. So that really, and and I also did dignity therapy work with people that were diagnosed with six, um, six months to live or less. And that's doing interview interviewing them with a set of questions. Um, I did it with uh, dying heart patients, congestive heart failure, mainly patients and was probably as far as the feedback you get from the client, uh, the person, the most rewarding work of my life. You take their answers and you form it into a narrative and then you meet with them and read that back to them. And um, so many different things may come out, um, be it secrets or directions or just hearing their lives. And it wasn't a long, you know, 100-page biography. It wasn't about being a biography. It was a different type of document. And um, so I did that work as well. And then I um, have always, again, kind of been in that mindset of bring, keeping things as, um, in the care of people as much as possible, humans that want to care for other humans as possible with the births and the deaths. And then I had my own experiences, which precipitated that this, this, we need to talk about this. This isn't something people need to be able to deep dive. How can we make these conversations more normal? And then the other thing is, is, you know, here I am a therapist and here I am a person that's dealt with death. Yeah. I was whopped upside the head. I mean, my soul pod left in a course of 10 months, my people that, you know, had my back my entire life and knew our sorted story and, um, I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for that. And it didn't hit me for a while about how, you know, f- free floating I was left in a way. And and so I'm still working on that and that groundedness. And my brother was a real activist and action-oriented person and, and a person, and both of my my brother and my mother, were they, they were beautiful, beautiful people and giving people. And I just know this project is something they would both be very, proud of and I feel they're a part of it.
2: Wow, no, that's nice. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing because it's allowing that to come out and come out a little more um, easier um, for others to sort of hear a or question or, or find, right? Because you've also started that podcast, your podcast to talk about grief and loss among you know people around you. And I think that you're doing the right things to bring that topic to awareness and allow people to sit with it if they're wanting to sit with it. Because I think one of the issues is that a lot of people just don't bring it up, so people just never sit with it. But if people are bringing it up and people are having, you said, events or having a podcast, they can sit with it in their own time and they don't need their friend to also need like have to sit with it with them because not everyone's gonna be on the same page. So I think that's great what you're doing. And I'm really curious on your grief journey, how do you continue your bond with your brother and mother?
0: Oh, it's pretty vast. Um, I, I have outright conversations with them. Mm. Um, when I'm walking or in the car is, are typically two really good times. And, and I will preface that when I'm walking out in the country by myself... <laughs> <laughs> not, not on the walking path at home or in town, you know, where it's very, very busy. Um, I just actually do. I have conversations with them. I pause. Uh, I find I've always found that, um, walking out in nature, I'm open to glimpses of other, um, messages wh- wherever they come from I don't I'm one of these people that I don't have to know everything but um, I don't have to know exactly what that was but man I can feel when it feels very very real and there's times I, um, I go through periods when I'm very much more centered and things aren't as chaotic in my life of mindfully incorporating connection with them in a meditative practice Um, so I feel like writing right now I'm writing, um, and incorporating their stories into a project I'm doing, a writing project I'm doing. And, um, I feel like that continues the connection, but mainly, and I do breath work and I've always used this with clients where I, um, breathe in. And as I'm imagining, I'm taking a very mindful in-breath. I imagine that I'm breathing in their love into my heart. And then as I breathe out very slowly, I am sending my love to them. And I do that separately. I have to tell you, the biggest challenge for me has been separating my mom and Max, my brother, in these kind of practices. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) <laughs> okay, or am I doing it to both of you at the same time, or you know? So sometimes I will do it where it's just focused on one person, and mm. um, because our relationships were different, and there's uh, there's times I actually call on support um, when there's uh, a time that I feel like there's a struggle or something that they would be particularly um, wanting to um, be a part like of our kids' lives or whatever, that, hey, this person could need to use a little extra um, comfort today. Um, I I don't have to know that those messages are being, you know, I don't have to know. It just resonates with me that energy doesn't die. And I've had some pretty staggering, um, in fact, I've got a podcast episode on a situation that happened with my father that my a a different brother and my mother witnessed. That you know, really, I, I feel very, very strongly that energy doesn't die. Um, and I've had a, several experiences that make me feel like there has been contact. But I always have a little bit of a doubting brain at times when I'm struggling. Like, if if you can hear this, not, oh, you are hearing this, but that's my human nature coming through.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's the mystery of it all. And that's what we're sitting with. Has. Have you had any dreams of either of them?
0: I have. I, um, interestingly, if I could go back in time, your dream about your father really resonated with me. When I was 22, my dad died. And that was a difficult relationship. And um, my father always had a very public face that he could put on that everybody loved him but at home he was a different person. So there was always that dynamic of seeing what could have been um, as a child. And I had this dream that he knocked on my door in this trailer I was living in as I was going to school in a small college town. And I go to the door and he's standing outside and he's in his gardening kind of clothes that he would wear. And he walks inside and he, and he smiles very gently and he embraces me and I embrace him. And the, the, it is so um, visceral, so connected. I feel it deeply. It, it, there's a surge of emotion through my body and I know he's sorry. He doesn't speak at all. But that's what love and apology is what comes through that. And I immediately wake up in bed and sit up and my 22 year old self says that was real that was real that was dad visiting so that was the very first dream i ever had like that
2: wow that's a beautiful one and it talks to the point of i think forgiveness right and understanding Mm -hmm. where people come from when they do hurt us Mm. And, you know, when it's, if you're spiritual, it stretches your understanding of what happens when we die, sense of the energy, right? On um, yeah. does all of it go, or is it just the, the love that stays, you know, like it's because, you know, like within every one of us, we do things that are very loving to people, but also based on our past traumas, past issues, and just neglect, we do things that harm people. Um, and it's just understanding that and hopefully I'm hopefully getting better at doing more of the loving than, but you know, like some of your behavior just ineffectively affects other people just based on where they are and their own triggers and their own experiences. And you know, like, so for you to have that dream, do you see your dad differently now, or do you see your relationship with him differently? Or is he still that person that hurt you and you don't really want to think about it?
0: No, I, it did. It, um, it, and it and it has fit along with learning and messages, um teachings that I've received all along through the years, many, many years since his death. So that's quite interesting that mm-hmm. although it happened um, so many years ago that that what I saw of him resonates with all of the the learning. And the expiration I've done into, uh, you know, if, if, if life does continue of some sort, if a consciousness of some sort does continue, what type, what happens? And, uh, you know, as in, in people having to accept the fact of what they've done and, and relearn and that kind of thing. so I do think it had uh, allowed me compassion and many, many things have allowed me compassion, I always believe even the most horrible person or horrible behavior is um, an example. People were probably treated worse themselves and that's how they can justify it is by, well, I'm not doing that. Like that was done to me. So see, I'm better. You know, I felt that just really resonated with me with him, but I also had a a couple dreams. Can, do you want me to share? Yeah. I was
2: just going to, uh, Stay quickly my dad had a lot of pain, and that pain came through in how he dealt with uh, the family. And mm-hmm. that's why when I had my dream and I got to see him, and he was happy and healthy, and more peaceful than I ever had, that really sticks out to me because I never saw him in a way. And I think the dream of him seeing that changed my idea of everything because all I knew were memories of him being heavy almost with the sadness and the pain. And then there's this moment that I had, you know, in the dream where it's just like, no, like all that's gone. And this is what was beneath it all um, in life. I just never saw that. And so it's allowed me to have, as you said, compassion for him and what he was dealing with that I never knew. And that helped with my forgiveness of uh, things he's done along the way.
0: Well, I have to say that I've dealt with a lot of people with my career with chronic pain, and that is one of the biggest challenges people can live with um, and I believe what you're saying it, it gets back to I feel like what I saw with my dad is that that kernel that essence of of who his soul you were able to see his soul his which is what we really are right it's you know there's a, a purity that we all have uh, we're love we're all uh, you know just beautiful love filled beings that just get beat up and slammed around (laughs) and you know, in chronic pain, man, that can just, ah, totally bottom people out. So I'm so happy for you that you got that experience.
2: Thanks. But what, what are your other dreams? So you had, you had some more.
0: Well, yeah, I've had a few. I had um, one, I had two with my mom that I thought were quite poignant one with my mom Where she's walking through our door, and she'd had to use a walker the last few months of her life. And she's walking through her door and she has this smile on her face, like, I'm here. And I'm like, look at you. And you don't even need, you're not even using your walker. She said, I know, I feel so good over here. You know, and that was basically it. It was just this liveliness and like I've landed and I know. And then this is a, a very kind of mystical experience I had. I started um, like really spending time in my grief with, after my brother died outside looking at the stars. And one night I was out there and I, um, there was just falling stars all over the place. It may have been a meteor shower, I don't know. And it was just really poignant. And so I would ask a question to Max and then a star would shoot across the sky. And at one point I asked, what if all of these lights out there, what if they are really symbolizing a spirit, spirit and, and a shooting star just went across the whole entire sky and it was like, okay, this is, this is a little, this is, a, this is really amazing. So the stars have been significant to me, that kind of thing. And I'm lying in bed one night and um, I'm in that kind of lucid dreaming state right before you hit solid sleep. And I think I am in any way. And I'm in my shut eyes. I'm seeing five stars looking across. And I had just been kind of exploring people's concepts of having a team on the other side. And so there's these five stars. And I I look at those in my mind's eye and I'm thinking, wow, are the lights. I don't know that they were stars, but lights all in a row. And I, I think, wow, what, a, what, a, that's my team. And then the next thing I know, there's this vision of my mother swooping back down and it's actually like her from her shoulders back up. And she's saying, just let me go back real quick and give her one more kiss. Mm-hmm. And that felt, I think what I've felt with these dreams or what I know about these dreams, it's the feeling. Because I can have a dream and they're in it, but it's that feeling, like there's a knowing that, that, wow, there's something there. And then unfortunately, with my brother, for a long time, if I dreamed of him, he still, because he did have confusion with the brain cancer, he was still in that state. And then I've had um, a couple... Where he's been lucid, and one where there was a big hug, but I have not felt that feeling yet with a dream with him, which I would love. I would love to have a dream that I know is a visit with him, but I'm not. I'm not able to say that I have.
2: Mm, That's so interesting. I really like the one with your mother and the stars because I don't know if it it reminds me of the Lion King. I just actually recently watched that, and the what, Mufasa is that the, yeah says to Simba like all the stars in the sky are the past kings like oh. down at you right and so then when you said that I'm like oh that's exactly what the message was in Lion King <laughs> <laughs> yeah and
1: something came to my mind about that and you were talking about walking earlier and walking and, and thinking and I was thinking you know how like music is the soundtrack to our lives well you know the stars and how the world you visually create can be the soundtrack to your life as well. And, but you got to put yourself in those positions um, and get away from the noise of where you are and maybe the city and this and that, but even going outside for a walk or, or, you know, looking up at the stars can create the tone that you need, I think to, to kind of uh, open up um, some of those thoughts and ideas, um, which is beautiful. And the other thing I, uh, you know, I thought about is, is, when you're talking about the five stars and people who are um, looking down on you or supporting you in that sense, I think that, you know, hopefully that's something comforting for people who are lonely and maybe don't have people around them who are alive or, or, or just, you know, don't have that type of support to know that, you know, if they have lost someone that, um, you know, that idea is there for them to kind of open up to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I would encourage for those people that are feeling very lonely, that little exercise that I talked about earlier, because I think you're you've hit on a huge point here. And that's, we have to get still to have any of these experiences, I would argue even with the dreams, you know, that you have that you probably will have a better possibility, if the more the chaos is cleared from your mental state. And for the people feeling very, very alone, I think that whole um, really even centered breathing and breathing out in a deep exhale to the love to those that are out there supporting you and then breathing that love in as a bit of a practice that even just for 30 seconds or in a minute doing that could help be centering and make a person resonate with, you know, it's one thing to think, oh, I may have a team out there, but take one more step to try to connect with that energy.
2: Yeah, I like that. It's an interesting question that you pose when it comes to dreams is like, if we're in deep grief, do we have a less of an opportunity to dream of them? And just through my research, I haven't found that. When, and I, the why I say that is because um, I looked at grief intensity and that wasn't a unique predictor for dreaming of the deceased. So there's other things like involved, but I wonder, I, you know, like it's something that, you know, as we research it further, sort of see how are the mental states, how are our mental states prior? Because a lot of times people are in deep grief. Like I was completely depressed. And then I have one of these dreams that just changed me. And, you know, yeah, most I of have... these dreams happen like within the first year, right? Like within the first even couple months that people are having these. And so you wonder, right? Like, why now? And that's why I always, always look when it comes to these dreams. It's like, why now at all the times? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah I totally agree. I didn't mean to imply that deep grief would prevent it. I, 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 when I have said chaos, I meant like the clutter of different times in our life when we just are juggling so many balls and you're going to sleep mm. thinking about your list of things to do, that mm. type of thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Versus. That's interesting. Yeah. I just wonder for myself if, you know, if I take a bit of time to center as I'm going to sleep with breath or, Mm. or whatever, you know, even a mantra, repeating something to kind of clear out that space. I I wonder if it would open me. I mean, Josh, you're the researcher. Give me the prescription (laughs) to have a (laughs) dream. That's
2: very interesting. And I think that may be more true in the sense of focusing on an aspect because your mind's really good at giving you either guidance or dreams when your mind is focused on like one task or one thing. And when in, when we are in that deep grief in the beginning, all we're focused on is that person. So, and I kind of sort of see where you're going with it now, rather than two, four years later, when you're looking at relationships, what's going on in the world, you're looking at Christmas and what kind of presents to buy. All that sort of stuff is like, it drowns out that focus, that, I think maybe you do need, maybe that does help. I don't know. but That's a really interesting um, thing to, to look for in the future.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I agree. Mine were, my dreams were in the more acute stages of grief as well. But yeah, with all the news right now, for instance, I, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of bizarre dreams out there for sure. I ask for dreams. I thought last mm. night as I went to sleep, it's like, how cool, you know, hey, y'all come visit me. How cool would it be to report into Joshua? Yeah.
2: <laughs> and <laughs> nothing, you get anything?
0: I got nothing. <laughs> now, no. I did. I, there was a, a dream. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't really relevant. That I remember waking up during the middle of the night and going, "Yeah, well, that was a dream, but wasn't exactly what I asked for." <laughs>
2: That's funny. I want to. I think it's a good time to mention too that you are a fan of Ram Dass,
0: mm. and
2: I remember. I think I found you. I don't know if I found you this way or not. But mm-hmm. after his death, I was looking at hashtags of, I think, Ram Dass. And I was grieving pretty. I was pretty emotional, probably for two or three days afterwards. And I, I was wondering, like, would I have a dream? You know, and never did. And then i wondering, I wonder if anyone else had a dream. And you posted a dream, like, the moment I, I thought to myself, I wonder if anyone else had a dream. And, like, and I saw your post. I thought that was really interesting. So I wonder if you could talk a little about how you found Ram Dass and then also your dream of him.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, so Ram Dass has just been in my awareness for many, many years. And I'm probably the way, the best way. I'm just very eclectic in, in any practice or any belief system. So I, whatever I'm pulled to that resonates in my heart. Um, I, I kind of glom onto and, and his, his, his work is just beautiful. And, um, if you haven't gotten for listeners, um, I've got it sitting here. If you haven't gotten his book, walking each other home, um, I highly recommend getting it. Anybody listening here is obviously it has an interest in death and dying and I've given it as a gift to people that are going through something with a loved one. And, but for myself, it's beautiful, it's beautiful art, it's beautiful comfort. But just everything basically that Ram Dass has ever put out has very much resonated in my heart. And I had his book and I've had some other readings of his. And recently, I mean, we don't have to be it's not that I'm a psychic. We all know that Ram Dass was getting very elderly and post-stroke was um, seeming to be a bit frail and so, I, and many other people, I think, had it in the back of our minds, like how long how long is this going to go and and for whatever reason i I found out very, very quickly at the time that he died and it, and like you josh i was I was very, very moved and so I kind of sat in practice after that time, and um you know was really sending love and kind of diving into some of his work. And that night I went to bed and I was actually listening to a meditation of his as I went to bed. And during the night I ended up waking up after I had a dream of, there was just like white, 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 you know, I want to say divine light. I mean, just very beautiful ethereal brightness. And Ram was not in his wheelchair. He was actually Ram Das was sitting on the floor in Lotus with his beads in his hand, both both arms working fine, Mm. with just the most beautiful, radiant smile. And there was just a, a knowing like it was almost as if I was standing in front of him. but. He was more at my level, but there was just this knowing that there's volumes of people behind me. I was right before him, but I felt as I woke up then, it was this feeling of how many people had this dream at exactly the same time. And it felt, it was just beautiful. It just was beautiful. And it actually just made me really feel like, wow, I wish this could manifest for my loved ones. I could have a dream. Like, did I manifest that? And if I did, can I bottle this and <laughs> use it later? But but that's not seemed to be the case. It didn't turn on a dream valve in me. So you know, it was a very, very beautiful, beautiful experience. And then I have to say, as you saw yesterday, I saw you commented on it, you know, talking about the synchronicity of life and how things happen. So this wonderful, lovely artist had posted a giveaway and it was this gorgeous, piece that he'd done of Ram Dass's face. And I never win anything. And he contacts me and says, you, you've won this. And if you go to my Instagram page, the Death Dialogues Project Instagram page, you can see, I think it's the last post I put on, um, or a recent post by the time you listen to this. And um, he, he said, you won. And I said, oh, and then I was like, oh, no, the postage to New Zealand is so high. But I thought, I want this. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's it's a numbered print. And um, so I said, hey, if it's too high, you know, if the cost is too high, let me know. And I'll drop some money in your account. Well, it didn't come and it didn't come and it didn't come. And I just thought, yeah, it's, it, it, something's gotten held up. It, it, it's going to be a while or it's not going to come. And, again, I was sitting in my little red shed yesterday just thinking about this interview and like, okay, I know I've had dreams. Let me write them down. And my husband knocks on the door and he has this tube and there's, there's the tube with Ram Dass's beautiful face in it. And Josh reached out to me after I had posted about that dream. So I just thought, okay, there you go. Full circle.
1: Oh, wow. Um, I just saw an image of it. I'm just looking at it now. That's incredible. Who did, who did the art?
0: Oh, it's on the post.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it. Colleen something.
0: It's a it's a um
1: That's incredible. That's psychedelic. <laughs> isn't
0: it? It it, it yeah. yeah. It's um oh, I love
1: the heart in the middle of his forehead. That's dope.
0: Yeah, I'm not in my red shed right now, so I don't have I'm trying to pull it up because it would be nice to honor his work here. Jetter Green is the name. Jetter Green. And his is he's that's the last post I think he has up still is that work?
1: Yeah, and I just I, like I mean, oh, I it's called
0: love it. everything, isn't it? <laughs> awesome?
1: Like that Jetter Green, amazing job, and and just the you could see the love that how he he was or he or she I don't know was inspired by Ram Dass to create this beautiful piece.
0: Mm. He says. Hearing about his transition back home, to meaning his transition, quote, unquote, back home, 10 days ago washed new feelings over my heart. His teaching on self-awareness, this moment, meditation, death, and heart-centered living have definitely altered my path. All I can say is, in caps, thank you, Ron mm-hmm. I created this art in honor of him. So... I don't know about you two, but these are the things I file under magic, really.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. You know, it, it makes you um gives you shivers in a good way.
0: Yeah.
2: It's amazing too how you know people are led to one another in different ways. And just by you posting that we got the chance to, to meet and, and talk and and be able to connect on a level I think that, you know, round us would approve of. In the sense of talking about death and dying and really the wisdom that lies within it all. And I think one thing I loved about Ram Das is how easy he spoke and connected people to, I guess, love. Like mm. he allowed people to be able to look at themselves non-judgmentally very easily and to have laugh at our insecurities or laugh at our um, moments of weakness. And then also challenge us to become more at the same time. And the, that's something that I've, you know, I listened to his lectures too. And it really, you know, he's really been a big part of me finding me, which is interesting. And maybe I had that dream that you had. Maybe I was in line. I probably was. <laughs> I just don't remember the dream. And so I'm glad you're able to remember it. And I think that was a really cool dream. There was actually, you know what? I've never shared this before, but I did have a dream of Ramdas after um after everything it wasn't it was after your post of course mm-hmm. and so my dream was I was walking I was in this auditorium and this person just finished uh speaking of some sort and everyone was rushing towards the stage because they're giving out free stuff and I looked at the stuff and it was like free tickets to the next show and all this other stuff and I was like ah and I put it, I dropped it. And I saw Ram Das in the corner and no one was around him. And so I'm like, oh, that's strange. <laughs> and so then I walk over to him like, these people know what they're missing? <laughs> like, you want this free stuff? I'm going to go over here. Um, and so I went over there and um, he was just sitting meditatively. And he's like, and I saw a book on a table like near him. And it was a leather binding book and it had Maharishi's face on it. And I opened it and it was just, I forget what was inside of it, but um, he was smiling at me. And then he said something, I forget, I wrote in a drip, dream down, but I sat with him and then I woke up and I thought, isn't that interesting? You know, it was such a peaceful dream, but also I think spoke volumes to who I am in the sense of what I long for. And it's not free stuff, you know, like uh, there's something else deeper that I gravitate towards and it's what he stands for. And that, that's just love.
0: Mm. huge loving awareness his mm-hmm. yeah yeah beautiful
2: so on that note let's uh let's you know quickly talk about your podcast so you have the podcast you, it's recent right 2000 you have 50 episodes i know that and the 2018 i think you started
0: right i started at the end of 2018 mm. and i i um i just approached it so with, through all this process and being an academic and, you know, all the learning that they had to do, I, I began realizing, and that's kind of where I get my therapist gone rogue title is, and I've taught, I, you know, I've, I, I get it, but I really feel that I can say decades later that I learn more from people's stories than I learn from any textbook or, any theory. And our stories are as unique and individual as we each are. And I believe when it comes to um, blowing the lid off of conversations about death and dying and the aftermath, the, the most gentle, kind, and um, actually relevant way we can do that is not by talking about Stages or what to expect, or when does it get clinical? When is this bereavement turning into something else? I'm so over labels, I'm so over ticking the diagnostic boxes. And at this point in my life, I don't have to do it. Thank you. And I feel that if I hear someone's story and I can take bits and pieces of that that resonate with me, I don't have to hold on to other things, I can get ideas. About maybe how I want to do death or how I want to think about death. So that's really where the idea came up, and um, that's basically m- mainly all I do. I I really want to talk to people, not so much about having people come on and uh, uh, promote the work that they're doing, unless they can tell me their story of grief and loss first. Mm. Um, and hey, we're human. Most of us have had those. And it just so happens that the people that contact me you, you are really, really aching to share their stories of loss and grief as well. So that's what we have is a collection of a, a variety. And, you know, again, it, it's, it, there's some magic at work, some synchronicity. I Suicide is huge here, and um, I don't even like to use the word suicide, the crime implication behind it, but a person taking their own life. And and I had this beautiful mother contact me because it had been a, a like, oh, am I going to put out for that? How is this going to work? And I just kind of set the intention that if we're meant to have a conversation, it'll happen. And um, this beautiful woman, Claudia, contacted me, and it was actually less – than a year since her son had taken his own life. And we connected in such a deep and meaningful way around the whole topic. And if you check her episode out, it's just amazing. And it's a total reframing of suicide. And these, these things are these conversations just unfold in that way. And I'm, I'm just really blessed to be a part of it. And As I tell everybody that's on the show, you know, we're connected. We stay connected in one way or another. You can't go that deep with people and without having a little piece of gold filament that connects you all through time, then it's the way it feels. And yeah, it's, I don't know how you two feel, but for me also, it's something that I can do at my own time versus the productions I've done that's kind of hurting a lot of people together. And there's so much underbelly work that goes on with promotion and everything with that. I liked the podcast being as compact as it is and um, the ability to uh, yeah, just kind of manage that from a, from a very compact place and um, connect with these people on this level is just, it's amazing. And I think you two were talking about at the beginning, how this feeds your soul is it totally resonated with how I feel about it as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, a lot of what you said is the same for me and, and I'll speak for Joshua, same for him in, in connecting with people and, and also doing it on, your own time and scheduling and stuff. Cause sometimes, cause you have the freedom to kind of get into the conversation, whereas it's not, it's not other people getting involved. It's not uh, needing to stay or talk about a certain topic necessarily kind of keeping it open as long. And like you said, as long as people are willing to share uh, about their losses and grief and dreams um, we're excited to have them on. And, you know, 99% of people, they They come on, and it just happens because of the questions. Uh, I can't even, to be honest, I can't even think of an episode that we have that we're like, you know, that person didn't give enough or whatever, or we didn't touch upon certain points. There's always, there's always the opportunity to kind of have that deep conversation, and and also the long format does that. It's not a ten minute, twenty minute interview necessarily. But yeah, I wanted to actually. Was that something when it came down to the connection, and also what you're getting back? from the guest. Was that something that was surprising or did you kind of go into it knowing what you were getting into?
0: Well, I, I think, I think I knew just from doing therapy for so many years and that deep sense of connection. (laughs) I don't know if Joshua can relate to this or not, but for me, it's a little like, oh, wow, this is actually almost like having a session. And having permission to put it out into the world, which you never, I mean, I was like the Gestapo with confidentiality. I, mean, I would never, ever right. utter a, a thought of, of anybody to share. So that was weird for me and big for me to get used to, that we're having this intimate conversation and it's actually going out to the world But. Um, obviously, the people know full well that that's what they're doing. And and they're more than willing to. And, and I have to say, you know, when you've been done this work that I've done for this many years, um, there are times that people are that we're connecting dots uh, during these interviews, (laughs) that that we circle around to things that maybe they hadn't thought of I try to really stay in the background I'm with I'm like you guys we, I don't s- script it and really just have people take off with their stories but there's a part of it that I think the only thing that's really really surprising is the shock of getting over that shock of having something so intimate um, released into the world and it's a pleasure to do it I'm I've always been pretty much an open book with with my stories and my And it's just so beautiful to see people willing to be so transparent and so giving with their stories.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you said, you you know, you said it uh, before, whereas the stories are the key with individuals. And there's power there. Like, you know, if you're, you're hearing a story between two people, and it never gets shared or or never gets told to other people, you know, it's kind of a, a miss almost like, yeah, it's great. And it helps out those two individuals. But To be able to, and and the courage it takes for someone to come on as guests is another aspect, but like to have a conversation with people about something deep and really, really hard uh, sometimes to talk about on an, an hour long or so podcast and then to share it to other people. I don't even realize, I don't think we all realize that what that's doing to when it's being sent out and who's listening to it. To have the potential to really connect, because there's even though there are differences and the unique aspects of each person's individual story and everything, there are still those common elements that I think people can sit with and resonate and and say, yeah, you know, that might be different than my loss, but um, I understand when this person's talking about that, and that's something we had Dr. Christopher Kerr on, and he talked about the importance of um, because they're doing various a few documentaries that are going to be on Netflix. And he talked about the importance of having those people on camera telling their stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something he was really excited about, you know, apart from, you know, the research aspect. And, you know, I don't think he was even as excited at the time as compared to not only writing the book, but doing the documentaries, probably because of that aspect, that those stories finally get to be told. And because I think he understood and he, he does understand the power of that. Um, which is, you know, and that's the blessing in, in what we, um, get to do.
0: Absolutely. And I hear over and over, and that's why I can continue to do it. I mean, I thought I'll give this a year and if nobody listens, then I'll stop. But people listened and people are giving so much feedback about how it helps. And I think, for those of us that have experienced deep, deep grief, the idea that something that we could create something that people could listen to that could help in any way, or, or that somebody has a person that's ailing and they have anticipatory grief. And, and so maybe this is helping to prepare them a little bit. That's one thing, even my Facebook, which I throw up a lot of articles that just talk about every, you know, articles I come across, I just throw them up and, and, you know people reach out to me that, oh my gosh, this has helped me so much to prepare for what I went through with my mother. You know, so we just never know how we' how these stories are hitting with people. And I think the other thing to answer that question too, that kind of blew me away with this that I hadn't thought about is, hey, do you guys realize that these stories are just, out there forever it's, they don't go away
1: I, I always i made that comment today i said oh all these episodes are in the universe they're, they're there you know
0: yeah Amazing. and then you see people continue to listen to them and um they circle back around you know there and there might be times that you want to re-promote a certain one because of something that's going on in the world or it, yeah, it's it's a different it's a different mindset um for me to wrap myself around for sure, but yeah, it's so interesting.
2: Yeah, I liked your uh, your last guest or two guests ago it was Rachel, she talked about um workplace grief.
1: Yes. And
2: and she said something at the end and I was confused because I didn't really know what it, what it was. It's like, "Oh, what wait way, way, itay? way itay? Waiata. Waiata. Okay, yeah. Can you explain what that is?
0: So, well, she could explain better. Um, she does explain it within the middle of it. It's basically a sacred blessing kind of song.
2: Yeah, one of the reasons why I, I brought that part up was because at the end, when she explained what she was singing or saying, it actually had something to do with grief dreams. <laughs> and so it was... Uh, I wrote it down. It says, I'm looking for my loved one. Where are they? Where are they? I'm looking high. I'm looking low. I'm looking inside my dreams. I thought, hey, whoa. And I was like, so this is part of their culture. And it's something that I still need to learn more about different cultures and how they look at these dreams. But just within that, you can sort of see that there is an important aspect of these dreams within the culture. And I'm like, wow. So I was excited that she said that because I'm like, it just opens up the world that this stuff, it wasn't like founded by us. It's out there just trying to bring it all together for people to talk about within the aspect of um, death and dying and grief. right. So our last question is we like to sort of talk about the podcast is if you could have one dream tonight of someone who has died, who would that be? And what would that look like to you?
0: That would be my brother, Max. I feel like I've had that with my mother and my father. Um, That would be my brother, Max. And I would like, Um, it to just involve a sincere connection and I wouldn't want to contrive what's actually said but I would like it to be one of those dreams of knowing and deep resonance that when I wake up it was a visit
1: that's beautiful that's amazing and um Let's uh, let's create a setting for this. Where do you want to have this dream? In stars?
2: I'm on, a- on a star? In a
1: star? <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to impact your dream, but you go ahead.
0: Interestingly, my 25-year-old my, um, son just contacted me about a dream that he had about him, that it was definitely a visitation. And it sounded lovely that he was walking through the, the, a countryside and there was a bench and he could see him sitting there from the back. And then when he got there to him, they embraced and cried together. And yeah, that that resonates being in nature, being in the stars resonates as well. So <laughs> yeah, just by his side is the main thing.
2: I like it. And I liked sort of the nature feel. And I'm glad your son was able to open up and tell you about his dream. You know, yeah, just like I was so too. many people are having these and mm-hmm. as much as like, you haven't had one of those types of dreams yet i'm glad that you can provide a space where you can be excited for his
0: yes i was a little jealous i'll be real <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> all right so i gotta say this was a pleasure talking to you and learning more about your journey as we said it's uh there's little gems here and there and we always get fuller. I know I, I have, I'm, I'm more fuller now than I was prior. So thank you for everything you're doing and willing to come on the podcast and speak your truth.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me, Joshua and Sean. And, um, I hope it's not out of school, but Hey, Joshua, I look forward to talking to you soon and having you on the death dialogues project podcast as well.
2: Yeah, it's going to be fun. I can't wait.
0: So great I- to meet you too. And, really really support the work that you're putting out into the universe
1: oh thank you so much becky and uh you know this is a good opportunity uh time for us uh, for you to share your website and also where people can find your podcast and what's it called again yes
0: yeah, so it's the death dialogues project podcast just try to always keep it simple go back to those words and um on my website deathdialogues.net I have a a list of all of the platforms it's on, but it's basically on most of them. There's always a link to the latest podcast under podcasts on there. So if you listen on Apple, that seems to be where 75% of my listeners come from. Spotify, wherever you will find the podcast there. So you could always just search that up as well. And then on Facebook, like I said, I do a little bit different than i do on instagram instagram posts always go to facebook but on facebook additionally i try to be a bit of a clearinghouse um and throw out pieces that i feel uh resonate with what our project is doing that have to do with death and dying and the aftermath and and things like the the um choice bill that we have coming up in new zealand end of life choice bill and um, just any information like that. So uh, yeah, a few little arms there. And then that's, yeah, that's basically it. That's basically how to find me.
2: Instagram's
0: Death Dialogues yeah. Project and Facebook's Death Dialogues Project as well.
1: No, it's great. And it sounds like there's a lot of information um, where people can find stuff and, and maybe there's uh, different audiences, but uh, you've covered your bases. So that's Awesome. Um, and again, I'll, I'll uh, say it again. Thank you for coming on, Becky. And, and it always takes courage for people to come on. And we really appreciate that. And uh, you did wonderful. You're, and, and I'm excited to listen to your podcast. I haven't done it yet. But uh, after hearing you, uh, I'm excited to do that.
0: Lovely. Thank you so much.
1: Okay, and um, so everybody, please check out our platform, which is at GriefDreams.ca for more information. On the topic, we added the donation button, and there are perks to those who donate. And thank you so much to those who have donated to our Patreon. Uh, We really appreciate it. Uh, If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group. You can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. We are on Twitter and Instagram, at Grief Dreams. Um, And we also, you can check out our other podcast, which is called the Grief Cafe Podcast podcast and that's um we have a website griefcafe.com so we love to end our podcast as usual with love and gratitude from us to you